Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world, it's us, those two yo-yos from FNO InsureTech back with another episode. Isn't that right? We are back with another episode. That is absolutely. And it's, I think it's our first one that we're recording this year. 2024. Happy 2024, Rob. Did you know that this is our, so back when they invented podcasts. Yeah. Did we just finish five years? I think this is the start of our sixth year. This is the beginning. This is the first episode of our sixth year. Uh, you know, a lot of couples don't stay together that long. <laughs> Most, I think, right? Most. I mean, I think I think we're better than better than average, Rob. Yeah. I well, you know, and I've Through never thick wanted, and thin. I've never wanted to leave, Lee. <laughs> I haven't either. I haven't ever wanted to leave. I wanted to sleep in the other room, but I haven't ever wanted to leave. Uh huh. Uh huh. My wife has said to me many times that this is a match made in heaven. You and I. I think it is. Uh huh. That's. Nice. I think it is. That's nice. You six think, years. Happy six years. Well, we're in our sixth year. Happy we, fifth year starting we, six. We started in January of 19, right? Yeah. 19, 19 20, 21, 22, 23. Just five fifth year anniversary. Yeah. Five full years. That's, that's, I bet you that's longer than most. I would assume, especially for a, a dual host podcast. I think that's a lot. I, I, I listen to some right. that are single hosts. But yeah. for both guests or both hosts to still be on, uh, not counting the other guy, but for both right. hosts to still be on, pretty impressive. And it's probably incredible for a podcast that has that hasn't gotten any better in five yeah. years. It's the exact same. That, that, I do remember though, early on, if you go back and listen to those first few episodes, the the quality is quite bad. It is. <laughs> the quality was quite poor. It That's has not- gotten better. Let's not mention that to our guest. No, the guest quality is great. Just the production quality wasn't what it was today. Well, for those of you um, who don't know us, we kind of started in our basement, and if you will, and we're still kind of in our basement. In fact, five years ago, both of us worked for a different company. Yeah. Right? 470 and Claims. We 470 did. Claims. And a lot has happened. There's been a pandemic. Yeah. The company was sold. Yes. Our CEO had a stroke. Yes. And basically had to stop working. What a uh, journey. What what there's it's been an eventful 5 years. We've we it, we've we got new job. We we went to work at a new company that bought 470. Yeah. And through all this, we still stay together. And our one mission was to introduce the world of insure tech to our to our clients, to our customers, yep. to our yep. audience. Yep. Yep. And here we are today, six year later, six years later, still introducing insure tech to the to the masses. Yep. Yep. We've met a, just a gob of people, right? Hundreds. I mean, a, a ton of really interesting people. When we go to uh, some of the more larger and more diverse conferences, we know tons of people because of the podcast. We've been mm-hmm. exposed to tons of companies. Most are here, some are not. Yeah. And it all came out of our own personal interest in this topic. Yeah. Which is, you know, it's hard to believe how many people we've talked to over the past five years, now six, but it doesn't get boring. That's the best part, right? It's not like we have podcast where we're like, oh, whatever, we've heard of that. Like we're still finding new and innovative and fascinating people. Literally hundreds of guests, literally hundreds of thousands upon hundreds of thousands of downloads. Uh, we've even been interviewed. <laughs> we were interviewed. Because, because we do a podcast. I mean it's been it's been um, a fun journey. It's amazing that it's been five years, right? 
Yeah, we started it years ago thinking that we would maybe educate the world, you know, our, our small little niche of the world. And nobody's been educated as much as Rob and I. We no. were just some yahoos who started uh, who didn't know how to spell insured tech. Still don't. And and now we can we can have a conversation with the best of them. True. Yeah. Yeah. In or at fact, least we can uh, introduce you to somebody who, who can. In fact, here's here's just one example. So this week we published the episode of Martha Noteros. Right. Yeah. Now if you if you are a person who spends a lot of time in the insurtech world, in the ecosystem, you know who Martha Noteros is. Martha right. Noteros is a giant mm-hmm. in, in insurance, in investing, and in venture capital. And right. she's with Brewer Lane and. Uh, those are the kind of people who we've been able to talk to, people who would never have talked to us otherwise. Yeah. And we get them all. We get them all. We're very lucky. We're very lucky. We're lucky to get to do this as our, you know, as our hobby, right? This is a hobby that we do and and we love it and we're, we're happy to be here. And you know what, Rob? Yeah. Yeah. We got another one this week. But we 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 do, and that's kind of where we're we're working up to. We, and and yeah. this is one that we've been waiting for. Yeah, almost two it's months. A, we've been rescheduling. It's in an insurtech space that we haven't covered as broadly as many of the others, and that's that's payments. It's payments. So today we have on Cody Eddings, CEO and co-founder of Snap Refund. Uh, Cody is a fascinating person who I've gotten the privilege to know a little bit over the past year. And Snap Refund is coming in and solving a problem that the insurance space has, and that's with digital payments. There are still many, many companies who only send paper checks. You can't track them. You can't find them. Uh, It causes customer issues and customer delays. And it is a really, really great product. And he's going to come on. He's going to tell us about the journey. He's going to tell us all about the story. And a little shout out we'll talk about at the end. But Cody, uh, Snap Refund, and Cody and his co-founder, they are actually winners of the State Farm Pitch Competition out of the ITC InsureTech Conference. So we're going to talk about that as well. Uh, Very excited to have him on. uh, That'll give you some legitimacy to have something like that, right? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But instead of us jibber jabbering, why don't we just hop on in? You ready to hop on in? I I am. Let's get to our conversation with Cody Eddings, co-founder and CEO at Snap Refund. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of FNO InsureTech. I am excited to be here with our guest today. This is a guest who probably over the past two months, we've had on the schedule, we've had them set to be here. And for one reason or another, we've had to reschedule, mostly our fault, but we have them today. Today, we have Cody Eddings, CEO and co-founder of Snap Refund. Welcome to the podcast, Cody. Thank you for having me, Lee. I have to say you're a hard man to pin down, so I'm glad we finally got together. I am glad we got together, and and today our other host was unable to attend, and he wanted to, and he said, hey, is it okay if maybe we, we reschedule? I said, absolutely not. We rescheduled this guy so many times. We're going to get him on the podcast, and, and we're going to have a good conversation today. So sorry that Rob couldn't make it, but I'm glad I'm glad we got you, Cody. Of course. No worries. I'm sure it'll be a great conversation regardless. Well, so Cody, where are you today? Are you in Philadelphia? Yes, sir. In lovely and sunny Philadelphia. At least today it's sunny, so I've been enjoying it. Oh, that's good. So is that where the company was founded? Snap Refund was founded there? That's right. Yeah, it all really started uh, at a a pitch workshop where I met my co-founder back in I think it was probably around 2018, uh, maybe 2019, when he and I had initially met, although we didn't start the company right away, but we stayed in touch and we were both in the Philly startup ecosystem. So we're a, a Philly company, you could say. That is that is neat. I don't hear a lot, at least I'm going back in my memory, I don't know many insured techs who say that Philadelphia is where they started. What? Tell me a little bit about the startup scene there. Yeah, it's been really growing quite a lot, actually. Philly is really known for biotech, uh, or at least that's been a claim to fame for the past handful of years or so. 
and we see that in the venture capital spend here is primarily allocated toward biotech ventures. But we do have our fair share of SaaS and B2B startups. So that was what initially attracted me to Philly when I moved here um, back in 2017 was because I got a job to be an Android engineer for a, oh, a startup at the time. How and cool. it wasn't in biotech. So uh, that was what made me first realize, oh, hey, there's actually a lot of startups in this city. And that's only increased um, over the past five years. That is neat. So you were saying that you went to a to a pitch, um, a, a, a pitch meeting of sort. What 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 is that? What what were you doing? Were you pitching ideas or coming up with ideas as a group? Yeah. So this was um, a pitch workshop to help founders hone their pitch, their pitch for investors. Got it. So it was a collaboration at that point of. Maybe there are about 20 people in the room or so. Uh, it was at a, a law firm uh, down in Center City here in Philadelphia. And it's kind of funny how life works out. I mean, I I didn't really even know about it until the last minute. And my previous CEO of the company that I moved to Philly to work for, her name is Yasmin. She's an awesome founder. She knew that the whole time I was working for her, I was also working on my own startup ideas at that time, which at that point was not anything fintech related. It was a a company called GS Technologies that I'd started as my first startup. And he said, oh, hey, Cody, you can go check this out. There's this really good pitch mentor, this pitch doctor, if you will, in Philly. Wow. And it'll probably be good for you. And I went and that's where I met my co-founder. So it really came full circle. So so your current employer at the time encouraged you to follow those dreams. You don't get that a lot. You don't, you don't get that a lot. That's, that's pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. I guess that, I guess that uh, CEO kind of knew knew you wanted to do more in life. Yeah, and that that was huge to see as well because I can appreciate because I had that experience what it's like when you don't have that alignment or support from your employer and it's just inherently a conflict of interest if what your employees' dreams are aren't your same dreams for them. So she yeah. really showed me by leading by example that you get the best out of people when you actually help them with what they really want to accomplish, whatever that is. Man, isn't that a great life lesson? That's uh that's really good. Well, let's let's take a step back or forward, however you want to look at it. Let's talk a little bit about Snap Refund. Why don't you give me the pitch? Why don't you give me give me a little bit on what is Snap Refund? What are you doing? And then we'll talk a little bit about the origin story. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I love to talk about Snap Refund, so it's a great question. <laughs> so Snap Refund helps insurers send outbound payments with automation and analytics to improve customer retention and operational efficiency. Man, so, you got that down, didn't you? <laughs> uh, you know, I've said it more than once. So <laughs> at its simplest, we go to an MGA, a TPA, or a carrier, and we revolutionize their claim payment system. We make it very simple for them to be able to manage, audit, issue claim payments. And the insured experience is vastly improved where the insured now has access to various payment methods, different payment rails. And that whole process takes it from this black box typically instead to a system where the insured uh, almost like a Domino's pizza tracker, you know, is kind of informed along the way of where the status of this payment is. And that helps both sides have clarity because we see a lot of time gets eaten up for the insurers with these customer service calls of, hey, where's my check? And they say, oh, I don't know, check the mail in 10 more days. Right. It really adds insight where it's typically uh, devoid of insight today. And with that comes a lot of lot of improvements ultimately for the customer and for the insurer as a result. So are digital payments, and I guess this is this is me just wondering, I guess I would assume everyone does digital payments in the insurance space. Is that not the case? No, not yet, but I think it will get there over time. But, okay. Uh, as recently as 2022, the latest data we saw was that around 70% of all claim payments in the United States were still paid with slow paper checks. Wow. So there's still a lot of room for growth in this area. That's really, really good. And I I mean, everybody, I think, is looking for ways to improve the, the, the customer experience. You talked just a little bit there about the pizza tracker. Uh, I, I work in the claim space. I've been in the claim space 20 years almost now. And one of the biggest complaints or, or questions I get is, where's my payment? Like, where's my check? And you're right. A lot of times we say, well, 
we, we mailed it on Thursday. It'll, it'll be there. Talk a little bit about the service that you offer. How, how does it improve that portion of the customer journey? Yeah. So first things first, when a payment's going to get issued, you as the insurer, or, you know, when I say insurer, I'm using a blanket term for TPA, Mm -hmm. carrier, MGA, the person who's issuing the payment, you get to decide, do I want to send a pending payment to my insured, or do I want to send a direct payment? This is all through Snap Refund. Direct payment is where you provide Snap Refund with the banking details or the address of the recipient. And then from there, they automatically receive that payment with the method you chose. So it just shows up sort of magically in their bank account, et cetera. The alternative is what's called a pending payment. This is where it gets very interesting because we've noticed there's a huge data risk that a lot of insurers are inherently exposing themselves to by collecting this information from their insureds. If I want to pay Lee for a claim payment for his auto insurance, for example, I don't want to have to send you a PDF and you tell me what your bank and routing number are. Yeah. Then I have to store that and secure that somehow, but that's how it's done a lot in this space. So with Snap Refund, when I send you a pending payment instead, all I need is your email address or your phone number. Then you get a link texted to you or emailed to you that says, hey, you have this claim payment waiting for you. You follow the link, and now you get to decide how you want to cash out. And me as the insurer, I get to decide what payment methods you see. So I can enable, for this payment, we're going to allow checks. We're going to allow same-day ACH. We're going to allow EFT. And then you get to pick from those almost like a Venmo cash app or PayPal style cash experience for your claim. And what that does, not only now do I feel really good as the consumer because, hey, I know where this is actually going. I see what's happening here. But I also have the visibility to the statuses. So when I choose a method, let's say I choose a check, for example, three out of four of our options for checks we support in Snap Refund today have tracking information. So now you can look and go into your transaction history as the insured, click on it and say, oh, that check, it's in Boise, Idaho right now. Is Boise in Idaho? I might have just uh, played myself there. I believe no, I think it is. Boise. Yeah, Boise, Idaho. Oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, it, so- it sounds right. Uh, We're all Googling right to everyone in Boise. I'm sorry if I butchered your, your Yeah, state. no. No, you got it. And you got it right. Perfect. And you can see where it is along the journey. And now I don't need to call in to my insurer and ask where this payment is. I know. I'm like, oh, it's going to show up on my doorstep tomorrow. Be right there with a picture from the carrier. When I say carrier, I mean mail carrier in the transaction history right away. Same with ACH. I can see, oh, it's in transit. It's moving through the clearinghouses. Today it's reaching my bank. You know, Tomorrow it's settled, right? These are all things that they would typically be calling in to you, the insurer, to figure out. But now it's all self-reported. And you gave me, me being Snap Refund, the bank info we needed to make the payment using really secured, tokenized, and encrypted third-party systems like Plaid. So it's just removing complexity and adding convenience and security to every step along this process. And so you're actually giving the carrier an option on ways that they can deliver the funds, maybe depending on the complexity, the size of the loss, the size of the payment, they can, they can, give, different, they can give different options. But what you're really giving is the insured the option to receive the funds how they want to get it. And there you mentioned the rise of cash apps, Venmo, things like that. I mean, are, are people starting to request insurance payments through your Venmos and, and Zillow's or whatever's out there? Absolutely. Yeah, that's one trend we've seen. And I think that's been accelerated by the advent of COVID and the global pandemic. We saw, and I think this is probably a pretty consistent pattern with most industries, you go through the initial wave is digitization, then you see cloud migration, then you see the third wave of innovation in an industry is typically some sort of analytics package. Nowadays, like it's coupled pretty closely with AI. I think we see that trend in the insurance space playing out at a accelerated timetable because of what happened during COVID when all of a sudden the postal networks were very stressed, you know, almost overnight things changed. Banks aren't open, right? People can't take this physical piece of paper and go to a check cashing place if they need to. So all of a sudden, there's this impetus on the insurers to say, okay, well, if it's not possible or feasible to give them this paper check, what can we do for them? And that really pushed the conversation forward, I would say, at least five years from where it was going, because now there was this external macro set of pressures that made digitization make more sense for insurers. Wow. 
Let's talk a little bit about the technology and how it all works. Let's say I'm a MGA or, or a TPA. We have our claim system, right? We have our bank accounts. Where does SNAP refund sit? Is it, is it a, another system? Is it connected through APIs? Where, where does it sit and what does that uh, implementation kind of look like? Yeah, great question. So we sit as a layer that essentially connects all of these disparate systems potentially into a centralized hub that you can interact with either, either as an API or as a no-code dashboard. So say you're an MGA, you have a loss account and you're paying claims out of it, will allow you to bring your own bank to the platform. It's a, a different rendition of BYOB, maybe more yeah. fun depending on you know what your preferences are. <laughs> Very and true. And from there... You get to take this bank that you already use, you don't need to make a new bank account to use Snap Refund, connect it through Plaid to our system, and now you can set that as the source for payments you send. If you have a CMS, you can use our API and integrate a fully bespoke solution exactly to your needs. Or for our smaller clients, what we see is they often start with our no-code dashboard where you can get up and running in a few days just by clicking a few buttons in the dashboard and issuing payments. And then from there, you're choosing which banks are the source for these payments to go out of. And we added really helpful features beyond that, like delineation for transaction costs, for example, or administrative costs. So instead of having platform costs coming out of this loss account and a zero sum account that's very tightly audited, right. we learned from our customers, hey, wouldn't it be nice if you could specify a totally separate bank for any costs to be assessed to? And then the loss account is really clean and easily auditable. So it's wow. very very much a come as you are system. And within that, if you want to get more complicated with it, and we see some of our clients have integrated Snap Refund as the payments engine into their existing customer facing portals or internal claims management systems, you can use the API to do just that. And our integration timeline takes two weeks on average compared wow. to six to nine months I've seen for a lot of other competing solutions. So a lot of the other solutions we've talked to are not bring your own bank. I've talked to a lot of them. I, I've talked to three in the past, I guess. And it seems to, to kind of work, but I still have to open up another checking account, push funds into it. Why Why did you decide to go this route? I mean, it seems maybe even a little bit harder on you, but is it because that's what the what the, the customer wants? Well, that's definitely the, the golden ticket there. Is the <laughs> customer is always right. So they used to tell me when I was a, a waiter. Uh, server back when I was 15. Uh, and then in case the customer is not right, just refer back to rule number one, which is the customer is always right. Exactly. So it's, it, you know, I think when it comes to anything with startups or just business in general, you could always dig your heels in and build what you want to build. But I think the most success comes from building what you need to build. And that always is driven by the customer. I think there's some motivations for a lot of payment platforms out there to make you use what's called an FBO account or like a beneficiary checking account that yeah. they're opening on your behalf. And I think a lot of it ties into earning interest or float off of people's money, which that's a fine business model if your clients will want it. But when it came down to it, our mission is to financially empower people and give them greater control of their money. I can't think of a better way to give you better control than letting you bring the bank or the institution that you already want to use as a platform and reduce the accounting sign off needs to happen. I don't want your CFO to have to deliberate on this for three months to say, do we need this other bank account to audit? Right. Use what you already use. And we're going to make it easier for you to do what you're already doing today. I want to, I want to go back real quick. You were talking about visibility for the insureds. You were talking about how a insured can see where their check is. I assume that same visibility is there for the adjuster or the person who's issuing it, right? I mean, I, I think that today I might issue a check and I don't know exactly when it went out until I see a, a report or something. What Talk a little bit about the visibility that a claims adjuster um, or, or, or the claim side could see. Yeah, so those payment statuses, those update in real time and those are visible to the insurer and the insured, to the adjuster and the person or business being paid for the claim. So not only do we have the web hooks into the banking and mail logistics systems that will update when updates occur in real time, 
but we also have the ability to attach documents with these payments. So now if an EOB is going out, right, or there's various docs that are needed to adjudicate this claim, you can attach those along with the payment. And now the consumer, the insured, is able to go and download those at any time, view them. But the adjuster also has that same source of truth. So you can see exactly what communications happened around that payment. You could add memos to it. So that way, when someone sees that link on their phone or their email, they'll see whatever description or copy you want to add as the adjuster, which can go a long way in helping people understand where they're at in this process and provide them this guidepost. Because I think it's really hard for people to understand what's going on in general in insurance. Yeah. Uh, and any way we can alleviate what is typically a black box and increase operational efficiency, which really means making it easier to do your job. I think that always trickles down and creates surplus value for everyone involved along the, the value chain. I mean, I couldn't agree more. I was talking to a claims executive the other day and we were talking about, we got, we got pretty granular and we we're talking about how the notes should always end with an action, right? This is, this is what's going on. This is the resolution. This is where we're moving towards. And I feel like sometimes at the end of the claim, we say your claims all paid, you'll get a check in the mail and then we're off. But how great would it be to build some systems and some workflows in place to follow that along? And I mean, I, I assume you could use APIs and other things to kind of work with that journey to just make that service you're giving so much better. And I don't know, have you done any studies yet on satisfaction from a policyholder or an insured, right? Has, has there been anything there that, that shows an increase in, in satisfaction when they can choose their own payment or, or go this way? Yeah, so we're still compiling our initial case studies from our early clients that we brought on board in 2023. But some of the data that we found pre-existing out there for anyone to access is that there's a clear distinction amongst millennial and Gen Z consumers of insurance who expect a digital payout method to be a given. And within that, there's a clear shift in people's retention or satisfaction when the payment happens more quickly and typically digitally as well. So I'm curious to find out what SNAP refunds numbers will look like for that, but we've seen yeah. clear signal from the market that when you offer the digital payout methods, it only stands to increase your brand's goodwill amongst your consumers. Yeah, I think it would have to. Well, let's let's take a let's take a step back. 2018, oh, 2017, 2018, you go to learn how to how to do a pitch, right? You go to this pitch wizard, they're going to teach you this is the right pitch. You bring in an idea that is not the idea that we're talking about today. That's a different idea. So how did we get from there to here? Tell me a little bit about the journey. Yeah, absolutely. So me being a really, I guess, ambitious person, I think my whole life, I always imagined that there were various businesses that you know, maybe I'd be lucky enough to be a part of or be able to help form that could do some cool stuff. Um, I didn't know what that would look like at all. And I totally failed my first two tries. So I built two startups for this one. My first one was called Guitar Sim. And then my second one was called Chase It. So it was a smartphone app, a guitar simulator was Guitar Sim. And then the Chase It was a remote control dog toy. So they were both- <laughs> Both are cool. <laughs> really, both are cool. Both yeah. made $0. So I learned a lot in that process. <laughs> And at that time, I've, so I'm at the pitch workshop because I'm pitching the Chase It, which is GS Technology's second product. And, you know, I love dogs. I'm a huge dog lover. I think we both can relate on that one, Lee. Oh, yes. And yes, we can. I just love to see how excited, you know, your pup gets when they chase a squirrel or, or like a bunny or something. But I like bunnies and squirrels too, so I don't want to see them actually catch the thing. So That's right. Okay, just, well. just have fun playing. Exactly. So the product was built around that, but... At the time, you know, I'm thinking, okay, this is the one. We, we got it. This is the one. But little did I know, the real win out of this would be meeting Anise Taylor, my co-founder. And after I don't know how many more months uh, had gone by, I realized that the Chase It wasn't as viable of an opportunity as I thought it would be based on various R&D challenges and costs around injection molding. And it's really tough to get funding for a hardware product. Um, and I think hardware in general is a really tough business to be in. Yeah. And I have a personal skill set in software engineering, computer engineering. So I got a degree. I have my bachelor's of science in computer engineering from Lehigh University. Fantastic. So I know how to code an app, you know, like like that. 
uh, it, it was like no problem. But for some reason, I kept putting myself into these hardware startups, which yeah. is just a different beast. So it's harder for me to really prototype things because I'm forcing myself to be married to 3D printing timelines, injection molding. So fast forward, right? So I've known Anise now for a little while, maybe like a year or two. Um, after that pitch workshop, we just stayed in touch. We traded information. And he reached out to me one day and I was at this point, I'd stopped working on Chase It entirely. Guitar Sim had launched, but was finished as far as my involvement. So now I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't know what's next. You know, I'll just see what happens. And sure enough, Anise had called me out of the blue one day and said, hey, man, uh, like, have you seen all these problems? Have you experienced problems around financial literacy? And we started talking about it and talking about this gap we noticed in financial technology adoption amongst certain demographics versus their peers and how underrepresented people in general had worse financial literacy and fintech adoption. So we set out at that point and we're like, oh, should we do it? And like, oh, can we do something about it? And we said, yeah, I think we could try to improve these payment frictions or this like fintech pain point people feel in these communities if we make a creative enough solution that could do it. And we didn't know what that would look like. At the time, you know, I'm thinking we're going to make the next Cash App or Venmo and we right. still have these these mock-ups uh, today. I built like a prototype app, actually. I whipped it up in like a month or two for us uh, called Dime, which is going to help people learn. It's going to be like a Venmo peer-to-peer style payment app. And you're cool. going to learn things as you're sending payments to people about finances and you'd earn microtransactions in app that you could spend on raffle items or earn like, oh, a, sort of, like cool. interest or savings. So yeah, like, like Acorns and Venmo combined with financial literacy. So we thought it was a good idea, but... As we start going down that path, we realize like, okay, it's cool, but the financial model is really hard to support without a huge balance sheet in the beginning. And to top it off, we're not necessarily solving our mission, which was to financially empower people and give them greater control of their money any more effectively with this product than an existing peer-to-peer payment solution is. So we went back to the drawing board and said like, okay, there's something here, like these problems do exist, but we're not really solving them with a solution like this. Like, what can we do to tackle this head on? And it was actually through pitching. We were talking a lot of VCs at the time. This was probably around 2020, if I remember correctly. So venture capital dollars were getting lit on fire like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. VCs are just like pouring the money on companies. We're thinking like, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to be next. We'll, we'll get great investment, make huge ROI. Right. Everyone's going to be happy. And in talking to VCs, one of them, I remember, gave us really interesting feedback. He said, oh, I see what you're doing. You had this instant payment technology that you're sort of building the core of this offering around, but have you thought that there might be better applications than a peer-to-peer use case? And we realized after doing more research, like, oh, actually, B2B payments in the US lag behind peer-to-peer payments as far as innovation quite substantially. I mean, yeah. businesses pay businesses with checks quite often, or All they the do time. Because of wire transfers. And we realized there's also business paying people and they use almost primarily all paper checks. So we had this, this sort of aha moment where, and it wasn't really just one moment, to be honest, it's like dragged out over many, many months of research where we started to understand that businesses as a source of the payment was a much more tangible opportunity because businesses typically had more antiquated payment technology, whether they were paying a person or a business. And through that, we said, okay, well, where are the businesses, what verticals are there where businesses paying people stands to be tangibly improved? Where's a real problem happening in those B2C or B2B flows? And no shade to the insurance sector, right. but it's like the poster child for payment friction. Everyone is very frustrated in general. People are so dissatisfied because they feel like insurers are intentionally causing delays because they want to earn interest on your money. They want to earn you know, float off of it. We know now we've done more research, it's not really the case exactly. There's a lot of bureaucracy and red tape, and these are hard spaces that are highly regulated, but the problem is still the same. The consumer still has this gap where they think that they're being, you know, like like jerked around basically. Right. And that's a problem for insurers. That's a, an area where they could improve and ultimately stand to gain by fixing those problems. And it was from there that was us outside of the insurance sector back in like, you know, 2021, maybe. Uh, saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, getting payments is always slow with insurance. So why, why is that? Like, it could be better. 
So we came into the space from a consumer centric lens of saying like, let's make insurers feel incentivized to pay people faster. But we realized after then we started talking to a ton of insurers, oh wait, it's not that they don't wanna pay necessarily, they actually have their own set of problems and pain points that they're trying to work through on their own end. Right. It was at that point that we started to understand that there were things we could do and things we could learn that would really incentivize the insurer to adopt these digital payment solutions that we had that would make it a win-win for the insured and the insurer. And that was really the, the cauldron that started to create SNAP refunds uh, in its current form today. So what does that look like? Is that just a whole bunch of different meetings with, with, with you and your co-founder? Just sitting, just talking, going on this journey. Had 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 you already decided to go into business together on a payment on, on a payment solution, or or were you still just kind of thinking it all out as you went? Yeah, we'd already decided at that point to go into business with a payment solution. Which I would recommend all entrepreneurs out there do not do that. The <laughs> risky part of that is we are telling ourselves that there was a payment play to be had somewhere. We're going to go find it. I think that's the opposite of what an entrepreneur should do. They should say, I'm going to find a problem and I don't know what the solution is going to be for it. We will find the best solution to solve a problem that's interesting to us. So we took a lot of lumps and we learned some hard lessons. And what happens when you do what we did, which was assume before we validated. And that's super yeah. risky. And we're lucky to have survived that. Thankfully, there were payment problems. Like we had the instinct there were in these spaces, but that was not a guarantee. And we could have died as a company because we put the cart before the horse in that sense. So we're very fortunate to have survived that mistake. That is, you know, I have interviewed a lot of people and they have come out of all walks of life, all different industries. And I say, how did you get into the insurance space? And many of them say, well, we were looking for a problem. We found that this, this market, there was a problem and we wanted to solve that problem. They didn't have any reason you know, they didn't have a solution and they were looking, they were looking for the, and they were very, very successful, most of them, in what they were doing. But I think that is something important to remind that person who's wanting to start a company, that entrepreneur, find the problem, right? Find the problem. So whenever you're going on this journey, you decided that insurance is where it's at, there's a need. Do you go at it alone or do you go to any of the any of the startup trainings, any of the any of the companies who will help you found a company. What do you? What does that look like? Yeah, that one uh, ultimately came through sheer willpower. Anise was a third time founder. I was a third time founder, and we started, and that led us to this place of combined knowledge enough to say, okay, we could realistically figure out whatever problems come our way uh, in regards to founding this business. But it wasn't until we started to really averse or rather like you know to avail ourselves to all of the subject matter expertise as it related to the insurance flows you were getting involved with that we could really see the the forest for the trees so yeah. to speak so a big turning point in our, our story it, it's i mean it was a lot of meetings to answer your question it's yeah. that was on linkedin just reaching out to people cold and they're like who is this random guy with uh, locks uh, on LinkedIn? He's like in my inbox asking if he can learn from me for 15 minutes. And enough of those conversations led me to meeting people like some of your colleagues that introduced right. Leslie. It led me to meeting one of the most important meetings that I had early on was with uh, someone named Moise DeWoodby over at Northwestern Mutual. And oh, Moise has actually become an advisor for Snap Refund. But I met with Moise because I found him... Uh, through a chain of introductions, you know, someone I reached out to on, on LinkedIn, eventually introduced me to him, who then I got in front of. And I was trying to sell them on using Snap Refund at Northwestern Mutual, you know, like one of the largest life insurance carriers ever. Huge. And he was like, oh, I see what you're doing here. Like, this is cool, but like, y'all still need some work, basically. And I'm thinking like, whatever it takes, boys, like, let's go. And uh, <laughs> he said, why don't you apply to our accelerator? And that was go. how Snap Refund got into the Northwestern Mutual Black Founder Accelerator. That was a really important moment in our journey because that was in the summer of 2022. And that, for I guess lack of a better phrase, you know, kind of legitimized Snap Refund and exposed us to a lot of very deep subject matter expertise in the insurance space through that partnership. 
And that helped us go into 2023 with all those learnings and then eventually build out the MVP that we launched a few months ago that has had a lot of traction uh, in a very short amount of time. That is great. And so in the summer of 2022, July or so, you raised a uh, $100,000 seed round. Is that right? Yeah, I would call it... Um, it, I, we're raising our pre-seed round now, so oh, okay. that wouldn't even be a full seed round by most round. definitions. Yeah, it's 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 like a pre-pre-seed, which I guess people would call friends and family. Friends and family, that, that's it, right. It's, yeah, it's weird because it, like, it wasn't really a friends and family round. Uh, when I say it's weird, I mean it's the the way you label rounds as a startup is like really so much more opinion-based than I ever thought it was. I kind of thought going into it that it was there's more regimented structure. Like, okay, when you do this or raise this amount, it's called this. Yeah. But it's really just based on what you think you'll do in the future, right? And at that point, we knew, we didn't know how much we'd be raising ever in the future, but we knew we'd raise something. So we got the $100,000 investment from Northwestern Mutual, and that was fuel to take us into 2023 that would eventually become uh, our segue into the next accelerator, which was Techstars. Oh, great. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about being with Techstars. What was that like? It was amazing. You know, uh, I think the North Northwestern Mutual Accelerator gave us the preparedness to maximize the value of Techstars for Snap Refund because we'd been through an accelerator before. So now, you know, here we are a year later, uh, like a, a year wiser perhaps, and we understand, okay, so this accelerator is probably going to come with X amount of publicity, et cetera. How can we really capitalize on that? And Techstars was incredible. I mean, from the beginning, they were extremely hands-on, came in right away. And they just said, like, how can we help? You know, we have all these people in this, this network. It's called the Techstars Universe. Uh, we want to be able to connect you with the right people. And one of our clients actually ended up coming from the Techstars Universe because they saw that we were in Techstars. So again, it's like another social validation. Right. Now they see, oh, hey, this company is you know seemingly legitimized even more now. Now they've yeah. got... Northwestern Mutual and Techstars backing them. And that was a huge moment for us to be able to say like, yes, we can actually do the things that we say we could do. We said we could do all along. And now there's that trust and that uh, awareness people to say, okay, well, hey, they, they seem to be actually doing it. And it makes it easier to overcome that initial inertia against change because they can look at companies we work with and companies that support us and see some right. pretty big names on that list. And that has certainly helped. But Overall, though, I will just say with Techstars, uh, I mean, they were amazing. It's great people. We were in Techstars Boulder, which is a flagship program, um, okay. very esteemed. They've had some unicorn exits out of that accelerator, and we're looking to be the next one. Man, that I love to hear that. You were talking about how, how you're currently raising funds. Uh, you, you talked about in 2020 how there was a lot of money out there, right? And in 2023, there's still a lot of money. It's just harder to come by. How's that going for you? How's the how's the fundraising going this year? It's been incredible. Um, it's overall been a huge grind because fundraising is not fun, despite yeah. it starting with the the words fun. <laughs> and I think I used to have more uh, excitement about it before I had to really dive in and do it. I mean, I've fundraised before, but never to this level or amount. You know, we're raising a, a seven figure pre seed round. That's great. It's the most money that. I've ever raised in my career as an entrepreneur. And we were able to actually get almost, I'd say about 70% of the round uh, we locked in in only three months, two or three months. We started the round in October. So it's been three months and the round is almost fully subscribed. So I'm super thankful for that. Um, but I don't wanna give anyone the wrong impression. You know, that even though we've raised that amount in a short amount of time, the framework or the foundation that made it possible to to raise that amount has been going on for years. I mean, right. these are connections I've formed since, you know, before I even knew that we were in insurance. Like these are some of the connections that I've built over X amount of, of cycles, you know, and quarters. Right. And seeing that all come full circle is certainly rewarding, but um Oh, man, it, it kind of sucks, honestly. It's, yeah, it, it's a lot would, of work. it would be hard. Like it, it would it would be hard. We had a whole series where we talked to venture people, and it's hard work. They hear a lot of pitches. And I could just, I mean, they hear a lot of pitches, which means that people who are giving pitches are giving a lot of pitches to a lot of people. 
There's a lot of intros. There's a lot of questions. Uh, it's not easy. And I personally have never done it. I've watched people do it. It's a very difficult, very difficult thing. But kudos to you for moving forward with it. I mean, it's not the easiest time to raise, uh, but I know there's a lot of interest out there. You're really doing some some great things. Uh, as we get closer to our to the end of our podcast here, we can't go without talking about the big news that came out of ITC, uh, where you won the State Farm Ventures Pitch Competition. Right? You got to tell us about that. What is what is that? What do you do there? What's going on? Yeah, that that was amazing. Um, thank you to everyone who supported us. Uh, that was awesome. So. We, well, the story is actually kind of funny, I think, um, because how it all came to be. So we go to ITC uh, every year and we were there last year. Well, I guess last year, only a month ago now, like eight days ago, we were there in 2022. We were there in 2023 and leading up to it, I wasn't actually planning on applying. So you had to apply to be part of the pitch competition and they would select 10 startups and then those 10 would all compete and the winner would be selected at the conference and get to pitch in front of the entire conference on the main stage on the last day. Okay. I actually wasn't planning on applying because we were so busy with tech stars and we had so much going on. I was thinking, ah, oh, you know, it, it's okay. We'll, we'll sit this one out. And then sure enough, uh, I think I had a, a mentor of mine was paying me like a few days before the applications were going to close, maybe like the day before. And they're like, did you not apply yet? And I'm like, I'm like, no, I don't think we're going to do it. And they're like, you should do it. And I'm like, okay, you're right. So then I applied. And <laughs> then, yeah, sure enough, we got selected as one of the 10. So I was already, you know, over the moon about that. I was right. super, super proud. I was like, wow, they think that we're one of the most 10 promising companies out of however many hundreds had applied. And then we go and we, on the first day of the conference, I think it was the first day, we competed against the other 10. So everyone got up out of those 10 companies and presented in front of a room full of people. And we went through a deck essentially and, and gave a pitch about our companies. Now, to our credit, I was really warm. I was really primed for this because we had just come off of the Techstars demo day. So oh. I had been drilling this pitch that I made for Techstars for close to two months at that point. And I just given it and at the Google HQ in Boulder, Colorado, in front of a huge audience of like 200, 300 people. And Fantastic. I have pretty decent public speaking skills. So it was never really a problem of mine to get in front of people and do it. And when the pitch is that refined and I've practiced it that much, I can really deliver it well. Oh, so yeah. I got up there and, and I, I did my thing for Snap Refund and the audience really took to it. They really liked it a lot. And I didn't know how it would be received because there's always, you know, the audience you pitch to is huge in determining how it's received. Of course, you have to know your audience. And I'd given that pitch to a non-insurance audience with tech stars and they, they liked it, but I wasn't sure. Okay. Well, what will the insurance folk say about yeah. this? Cause you know, now like I'm walking into their arena and saying like, Hey, I have these solutions for you and we learn these things. You know, what do you feel about that? So for everyone in that audience at ITC to vote for us, I think we got like almost 30% or 20% of the votes, uh, like almost a quarter or more of them were for snap refund. When we won to see them support it like that was huge. It made me feel so proud because I said, hey, like all the things that we You're learned. validated, man. All those meetings, you know, we've been, had to been thousands of meetings, right? In a short amount of right. time over the past year or two. It, it was all actually for real. We were learning real problems. We were having real conversations and that was super validating for me. And I really appreciated the fact that uh, we were able to just speak to something that mattered to people who are very familiar with it. And that was awesome. So then we got first place. And then on Thursday, the last day of ITC, I was fortunate to give the pitch on the main stage uh, in, oh, okay. the, in front of the, the conference attendees there. And it was amazing. Um, How know, great was, is that? I mean, that room is full of professional insurance people, right? You were picked and they're like, yes, we like this. You've learned enough, like, you know, we we validate this. That's got to be a great feeling. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I think I can appreciate it so much because those moments don't often come. You know, as an entrepreneur, right? it's it's not guaranteed that you ever get a moment like that. And to be fair, sometimes that moment is the peak of something, right? Like everyone right. likes to assume that there's this bigger and bigger thing that you're always building to. But 
none of this is certain, right? Anything could change at a moment's notice in the startup world. So to just soak in that moment and appreciate the fact that people can really resonate with what we're doing was just one of the highlights of my career, period. That's wonderful. Well, I, I have a lot of hope, uh, a lot of faith in, in, in you, Cody, and in Snap Refund. I really think it will be a, a great company. And I'm excited. Uh, I've been able to learn a little bit about you over the past, almost over the past year, it seems like. And I'm excited for what's going to happen. So tell us before we let you go, if anybody wants to reach out to you, how do they, how do, how do they get a hold of you? Yes, please. You can find me on LinkedIn, Cody Eddings. That's C-O-D-Y-E-D-D-I-N-G-S. Uh, also, you can email me, uh, cody.eddings at snaprefund.io, one word. Let's talk. Look, I'm always game to chat. So Lee will let you know firsthand. Uh, I'm always eager to have a good conversation. So I look forward to anyone who wants to have a conversation with us. That's great. Well, we thank you so much for being on today, Cody. And uh, we'll see you at the next event, probably. I look forward to it. Thank you, Lee. Thanks, Cody. I'd like to say thank you to Cody for being on today. Uh, as I said earlier, Cody and the podcast, we've worked on rescheduling this thing three or four times, mostly our fault, but I think it was very much worth the wait to have him on. He was a delight to visit with. I'm really excited to see where Snap Refund goes and how it changes the face of payments in the insurance space. Uh, so big thanks to Cody and team for being on. Thank you to Aldrin and Alicia uh, for being a part. And uh, as always, thank you to Rob, even though he was unable to be on this one. We miss him and we look forward to seeing him on the next one. And lastly, we'll say thank you to all of our guests for if you didn't listen, we would still be doing this. We just wouldn't be talking to anybody, but thank you. And with that, we'll say like we always say, goodbye, everybody.